Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Land Business Podcast from Stratton Parker with me, Philippa Hall. Today we're on an estate in Hertfordshire and we're exploring estate properties. In a bit we'll be looking at the latest changes to permitted development and what they can offer landowners. But first we're looking at rental properties and the rental market. If it sounds a little bit echoey it's because I'm in a rental property on this estate and it's empty at the moment. With me is Jessica Waddington. She's an associate in the land management team based in the St Wilburns office. Uh, Jessica, What's the rental market like at the moment? Paint me a picture. I think uh, there are more people looking to rent. I think people see that as more of an option, especially if they're saving to buy. Certainly 10 years ago, perhaps as rents were lower, people were looking to rent for a longer period of time. We see now a lot of people renovating their own houses, looking to rent for six months a year, um, using the rental properties as more of a stopgap. But you do get a lot of people who want to rent properties that they can't buy um, so they might have the income to be able to afford uh, a more period farmhouse in the area but they can't buy that because number one that's not on the market and number two they may not have the deposit to be able to actually purchase that property. So talk to me about the concept build to rent. What is it and how is this then having an effect on the rental market? So build to rent is mainly seen at the moment in in bigger cities, um, so London and um, more in the north. Um, It's essentially investors paying to build apartments that have everything as an all-in service. So you'd have cleaners, um, you have uh, 24 hours a day maintenance service, you had porters on the door. It's it's basically allowing someone to have a lock-up-and-leave property. Um, And that is shown really by the raising of standards across lettings markets. Um, You need to have a property that... Uh, meets everyone's criteria um, and you and you need to take lessons from that in terms of storage is becoming more important to people the ability to not only store your car but half of your life uh, they'll also need increased connectivity a lot of people work from home um, and they need to have the wi-fi and the ability and the space to, to make that a practical option so what do you think that that means in terms of uh, an estate owner and how they need to view, I guess, their future tenants. I think there needs to be a greater increase in viewing tenants, not only as tenants, but as clients and as customers. Um, They need to be offered a brilliant service from from us as Stratton Parker as the land agents, but you also need a a brilliant level of property that you're offering to the market. It's, It's no longer applicable to be able to bring a property that is a bit run down, a bit rubbish, and you're getting quite a low rent. You need to be investing in your house stock um, both in terms of energy performance but also in design and style so that you can get the best quality tenant and the best quality rent. Okay so you talked there about um, investing in the property if you were to be improving a property compared to say 10 years ago what would you be doing now that that would be different? People expect their properties to be um, better designed internally. Gone are the magnolia walls um, and the very beige carpet. They want something that is more individual um, and they're renting, you know, they're paying for a product uh, rather than just renting a a dwelling. Um, So we found that kitchens, we've got a much better quality of kitchen going in. We've we've got more inventive use of space. Bathrooms have got separate baths and showers and it's really improving that quality of stock so that you get the best rent. 
So I was going to say, yeah, in turn, you're doing this extra improvement, but you can also put the rent up as well. Yes, and also by, by putting in better quality products, they will last for longer and you will get better value for money in the long run. Now, when you're doing up these properties, some properties may qualify from um, a reduced level of VAT when they're doing them up. Which properties? So it really is it's residential dwellings, um, be they single um, house dwellings or multiple occupancy dwellings. It only applies to properties that have been empty for two years or more. So now if you're doing up a house on the materials that you, you spend, you'd have to pay 20% in VAT. If your property has been empty for more than two years, that 20% gets reduced to 5%. And how do you prove that your, your property is empty? Is that easy? It, it should be relatively easy. Um, you can do that by electoral roll, um, you can do that by council tax records, um, also utilities companies can help in the situation, um, and also most local councils have empty property offices that have uh, notifications of when properties have become vacant. And just um, clarify the kind of work that does qualify this reduced rate, is it everything? It, it pretty much is. It's, um, it's, it's works of repair, maintenance and improvement. So this could be decoration, extensions, installation of double glazing, central heating works, drainage. It doesn't include uh, fitted extras, so carpets, uh, fitted furniture in bedrooms. It doesn't include scaffolding. And most notably, it also doesn't include the provision of professional services, so architects' fees, surveyors' fees. One of the other things to consider when doing improvements to a property is the green credentials of a property and how energy efficient it is. Also with us is Luke Telford. He's a partner in the land management team. Luke, are the green credentials of a property important for this new sort of consumer renter that we've been talking about? Oh, very much so. Um, I think we are finding increasing that tenants are asking now for the EPC. They're asking us as to how much the property costs to run, how much it costs to operate. Sometimes that can be very difficult for us to say because people like having the temperature at different settings. But there is certainly a much more interest, particularly if people are going to be renting in the longer term. So let's discuss MEES, Minimum Energy Efficiency Standards. What are they? So, your property, if it needs to have an EPC, will be rated... That's an energy performance certificate. Yes, yes absolutely. Uh, will be rated uh, according to uh, the fuel the boiler runs on, uh, whether the windows are double glazed, i.e. how much the property can retain that heat, and so therefore how expensive it would be to run. Um, the new standards that are coming out mean that um, in April next year, it'll be, uh, we will not be able to let your property if the rating is below a certain level. So if you are on the bottom two levels on your EPC, and if you then need to rent that property, you will not be allowed to market it because it's not compliant. Is this something that estate owners are taking notice of? I think there is awareness of these regulations coming in, um, but I think that there is a concern that people are not necessarily doing enough um, ahead of time. Um, if you've got a property portfolio of you know, 20 houses, let's say, uh, the chances are that a good few of those are going to fail on that EPC rating. Uh, and so therefore, then people need to start looking at what they need to do. Um, some of the works could be quite significant and could be quite costly. Um, and I think there's a concern that people aren't necessarily budgeting for this or allowing for works to be carried out uh, in preemption of uh, April next year. Yeah, it's not really very long to go, is it? If there is no plan and there is no budget in place, 
do you foresee a situation come April where people are sort of maybe at a standstill with some of their properties and unable to get the income in? Absolutely, um, because if you are not allowed to market the property, you cannot then find a tenant, therefore the rent is going to stop coming in. Which buildings um, are caught up in this new legislation coming into force? Um, so if your property is not listed, um, then it will need an EPC. Um, that will need to be advertised when the property is marketed. Um, however, it's a bit more confusing if your property is listed. Um, for many years now, the interpretation of the, the law has been that a listed property has not needed an EPC, um, so therefore it, the uh, MIES um, does not apply. However, some recent guidelines have come out to suggest that that interpretation is incorrect and that an EPC might be required for a listed property um, to ascertain whether the improvement works might um, affect the character um, or the appearance of the property. And what's the penalty if you don't comply with this? Well immediately the first penalty will be uh, a rental void. Um, furthermore I think we understand that there is a minimum penalty of £5,000 that can be allayed uh, for non-compliance. I think one of the problems is that the government hasn't issued enough guidelines on the type of penalty, the length of term, the length of time that it will take to uh, carry out those works, um, and therefore I've heard that some landlords are taking the, the more liberal approach, where they're going to ignore, largely ignore these regulations um, until they are penalised, or until the government issues more guidelines about how actually the penalties will come about. You're listening to the Land Business Podcast with me, Philippa Hall. Today we're discussing estate property and we're in Hertfordshire. We've been discussing the new kind of tenant, described more as a consumer or client, and also minimum energy efficiency standards. Luke Telford is with me from Stratton Parker. We're in a quite an echoey, empty property that's um, on the open market for rent. And in his hands is the EPC, the Energy Performance Certificate, which applies to this property. Luke, what does this EPC tell me about this property? So what this says is that we have got a rating of 38, which means we are in band F. So the bands run from A to G. To get to an E, which is what we need, we need to be uh, no lower than 39, and we're 38 at the moment. What are the things that this EPC recommends doing to this property? And does an estate owner have to do everything? Um, so this EPC is suggesting things like floor insulation, low energy light fittings, uh, changing of the heat controls, but also installation of things like um, solar water heating, and double glazed windows. Um, no, the landlord doesn't have to do those items. Um, some of them are actually rather unhelpful. We've got um, solar photovoltaic panels and wind turbines, except we're in a conservation area here, so we're not going to be able to get consent. Um, but their landlords can look at other items. Um, we've got quite a few clients who've put in wood chip boilers, for example, which is now providing hot water to two, three, four, five, six, seven properties in a block on the estate. Surely these standards, minimum energy efficiency standards, are only going to get, well I guess there's two ways of looking at it, lower and lower or higher and higher as we go, given the um, carbon reduction targets that have, have been committed to. Yes, I mean, if you ask anybody, the suggestion would be that you know the, the, um, the guidelines will change, the minimum level will change, uh, and it really wouldn't surprise me if the government did announce in a couple of years' time that you know what was required as an E will now be a D. 
Um, there is um, within the regulations um, purported to be a cap on expenditure on property. It is suggested that if you spend or you have a, if you have to spend more than £5,000 on your property to be able to achieve a reduction in the energy efficiency, then that is considered to be too much or unreasonable um, and you can exempt your property from that. As I say, that is something that is thought to be within regulations, but again, there hasn't been much uh, advice given given or guidelines given as to exactly how that will be dealt with. What happens if you've got a commercial property that you're changing into a residential property? Does that change the EPC and the, the minimum energy efficiency standards and what you have to do? Uh, if you're converting um, a commercial property into residential, uh, the EPC will still stand. Well, the opportunity for you to change certain commercial units to residential may get easier with new permitted development rules. Here is Craig Knoll, a planning partner at Stratton Parker, to explain in more detail. Permitted development um, has been a feature of the planning system for uh, many years now. There was a significant change when um, the need for prior notification was introduced for certain classes of permitted development. Um, it is only um, valid uh, to carry out the development if you have notified the local planning authority of your intention first and the local authority have a period of time in which to respond. Now that means that permitted development rights that are subject to prior notification are um, therefore subject to um, a process that puts it somewhere midway between permitted development and making a full application for planning permission. It's a bit of a halfway house. So back in 2015, it became permanent that you were allowed to convert offices into residential. And there are changes from October as well. Talk me through what they are. Well, the key change that is going to come into force on the 1st October 2017 is that landowners will now be able to convert buildings in light industrial use uh, to residential. Um, it relates to premises that uh, were in light industrial use uh, in March 2014. Um, it relates to um, buildings up to 500 square metres and uh, it's also important that um, it doesn't relate to a listed building or a, um, a, special, uh, a site of special scientific interest. What is the general feeling in terms of how supportive the planning authorities have been for um, permitted development so far and obviously with these changes coming in as well? Well it's interesting because an awful lot of the planners that are implementing these processes will have a history of resisting residential uses in isolated locations in the countryside in particular and therefore I think they will find some of these permitted development changes a fairly bitter pill to swallow and one can imagine therefore that there is though well, there would be a tendency for those uh, individuals to use the prior notification process to be difficult over introducing this change of use however permitted development is a right and the local authority ought not to exercise its discretion through applying its planning policies. It has to look at it with the blinkers on, as it were, and take a decision based on the legislation and the law and not on their policies. 
Craig Knoll, a partner in planning there for Strassen Parker. Well, we have just driven a mile or so down the road from that rental property and we're now in a different part of the estate and we're standing in an agricultural barn. Now, Luke, the reason we're here is that you have just got permitted development approval on this barn. Yes, we're very pleased actually. Um, it's taken a bit of time for us to, to get that approval. Um, we had our first application refused um, on some fairly um, silly grounds, if I'm going to be honest. Um, but our second application uh, was successful and we've now got approval to convert these buildings into three residential dwellings. So how long did that process take? Um, probably end to end, it probably took us about, probably just under a year in the end. Um, the first application was turned down on two principal grounds. First of all, the planners were uh, unhappy with our use of the mezzanine floor in the double height building. Um, they felt that that was unnecessary from a conversion point of view. Um, the reason why that's a bit odd is that some other councils have, uh, have, uh, have been fine with, with mezzanine floors going in. Um, but the other grounds that they um, struggled on um, was that they felt we didn't provide enough evidence that the building was in agriculture or in an agricultural use uh, in March 2013. So that's a, a key date then, isn't it? Yes, it is, absolutely. Um, and sometimes that can be quite tricky to approve. We had a tenancy agreement um, that was in place at the time that provided us with enough evidence. The council was still trying to ask more questions, but thank goodness we managed to provide enough evidence. Yeah, if you don't have, um, as I say, like a tenancy agreement and you are using the barn yourself, what do you rely upon? Some photographic evidence that you, you were using it for agricultural use. What, what are your options? Well, I mean, hopefully an inspection should be able to provide you with the most amount of evidence So the planning officer actually coming out and having a look around the buildings. Um, photographs, absolutely. Um, any sort of agreements. Um, sometimes people have only got a sort of a, um, um, a license to store some hay and things like that. Again, just builds up that evidence base. I guess there's been a bit of an escalation really for um, landowners, given that Agricultural buildings were allowed to go for permitted development approval in 2014 to become residential. In 2015, you had offices that were allowed to seek the approval. And then come 2017, October, it's going to be light industrial buildings, which a number of um, estate owners do have within their ownership. There seems to be quite an escalation in terms of the number of options that are there for estate owners to now add value. Absolutely. Uh, it, firstly, it underlines enormously the government's desire to build more houses um, and, and we'd hope that councils can embrace that. Um, um, but secondly, I think it's really exciting for, for many more rural landowners, particularly in Greenbelt areas, which is where we are at the moment, right in the middle of the Greenbelt, that we would never have got planning consent for these buildings to go into residential um, forevermore. And what's been your experience of how supportive local authorities have been towards the permitted development applications? I think the answer to that is mixed. Um, the council area that we're in at the moment, um, I think, um, hasn't had many applications, and the applications they have seen, they have struggled with. Um, I don't think they particularly necessarily understood the rights and how they're to operate. But some councils will have seen lots of these sort of applications and may take a slightly more relaxed view. But I think there's still a, uh, an enormous hesitation on councils to agree a residential use on an agricultural building like this uh, because it's something for many, many years they have been absolutely opposed to. And what do you make to the latest amendments coming into force? What do you think their impact will be? 
Well, I think it's great. I mean, it gives um, many clients greater options um, for the buildings that they have. Um, but I think that it's, again, it's a more strategic planning approach that people should be taking to it. Just because these rights exist, it doesn't necessarily mean that's right for that particular building or that particular estate. Um, a lot of these are pointed in the direction of residential, which is the most valuable approval or consent that you can get. Um, but residential is the more expensive one to convert um, as against uh, as compared to, say, an office use. Um, and so, but you also need to compare it against what the building's being used for at the moment. If you've got a, a license uh, for the building for someone to store some materials, that could well be the most valuable use at that time, given that you've got no financial input to convert it. You've been listening to the Land Business Podcast from Strutton Parker on estate property with me, Philippa Hall. Do get in touch with any comments or questions or even topics that you would like us to cover via email podcast at struttonparker.com or visit the website struttonparker.com forward slash podcasts. Next time, we're in Kent discussing future proofing for your estate business.